Sandy here with exciting news. I was invited to participate in an interview series hosted by Tanya Karsanak, who is on a quest to make a mother's journey of transition into her 50s and beyond easier. Tanya found herself searching for answers as she reached her own midlife point. So she created Motherhood, the third chapter, how to transition into your 50s and beyond with joy, confidence, and vitality. Tanya's gathered a group of wise women together and interviewed all of us to share our collective wisdom to help mothers find answers. We'd love to share all that we have learned with you. As a guest speaker, I'm delighted to offer my community free access into the Motherhood Third Chapter series. To access the series, simply visit sandyfowler.com forward slash series. That's sandyfowler.com forward slash series. I hope you enjoy the series and find wisdom in all that we share. Today's show is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America easy. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey, making it incredibly easy to compare options and book your vacation and letting Omeo save you time and money. I know I'm looking forward to using it to compare different ways of reaching the same destination on my next vacation. Are you ready to get out and travel? Omeo wants to help by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head over to omeo.com, O-M-I-O.com, and use the code LISTENER5, all in caps in the number 5, when you check out. The code's valid until July 31st for new users on all modes of transportation at Omeo, where you can plan, book, and love your journey. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast, and I want to thank you for showing up. Today, we are diving into our our mental health, our mental wellness, the pandemic, the re-entry into society, that whole ball of wax. There's so much going on in the world right now in terms of the mental and emotional toll of not only what we've been going through with the pandemic after a year and a half of this, there's a toll there. And I'm also seeing that this this starting up and starting to move toward, hopefully, a more normal life, whatever our new normal is going to be, is also causing some issues. And there are things that we may not realize are happening or we may not realize are happening with our kids. So we have Dr. Melanie McNally with us to help us tease this apart, to figure out what it is that we need to know and how we can really support our our whole family and especially our teens and 20-somethings through this time. Melanie, welcome back to Mighty Parenting. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so happy to be here today. Yeah, so it was a little over a year ago, I think you were on, it was episode 129, and you talked to us about building self-confidence in our teens, and I I can't help but wonder if their self-confidence has been eroded, and you know what's been happening to our teens during this last year and a half of pandemic? 
Yeah, you know, the, the pandemic has definitely had a negative impact on teen mental health. The CDC had released some data um, maybe one or two months ago where they were comparing teen mental health um, data with the same time period in 2019. So they looked at some data from 2020 and they compared the exact same time period in 2019. And they found that there was a 25% increase in suicidal thinking um, with teens and that there was a 31% increase for pediatric emergency room admissions. So that same time period during 2020, there was 31% more teens going to the emergency room for psychiatric issues like suicidal thinking or behaviors, anxiety, panic attacks. So just looking at those data points alone, we know that there's some pretty significant mental health challenges ahead for our teens and, and young adults too. Well, before the pandemic, we had we had a large problem with our teens with anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, anxiety is the number one mental health issue for for kids and teens, and it is a a, a big problem, a big issue now. You know, the the pandemic triggered anxiety in lots of different ways. Um, You know, one was the uncertainty and all of the feeling that things were so out of control during the pandemic that obviously is so much worse than it was pre-pandemic. So kids were already struggling with things that were out of their control beforehand. And then things really were out of control, out of everyone's control. And I think that's a really scary thing to be a young person and to watch your parents also be anxious and to be scared about the future, which a lot of teens experienced and not blaming the parents at all, because you know, what were they to do? This was a a whole new situation for all of us. So I think that has, you know, had a big impact, but then also there's a lot more social anxiety now because we had this, this lockdown and, and teens and young people not being in school and not having to socialize, not being around each other. And already part of the the whole adolescent experience is there's some adolescent narcissism there. You already feel like you're on center stage when you're a teen. Then you kind of isolate, you go home, you're not interacting with anybody. And now schools are reopening and now all of a sudden you have to go back into school again. So that adolescent belief of being on center stage now is just amplified even more because there hasn't been that exposure. There hasn't, there haven't been those social interactions for them to be practicing and to be getting comfortable being around other people. So there's a lot going on Absolutely. and I want to, I want to talk more about what's going on too, but right now I want to actually take a few of these things and just give us a couple of strategies because what I heard you say is some of the things that triggered anxiety in our kids during the pandemic were feeling out of control. Mm-hmm. So I'm, my first thought is, all right, how can we give them a sense of control? And that is exactly what we have to do is we have to find what are some areas that they can have control over. So what are some parts of their life where we can empower teens to have a little bit of control? And, 
you know, you may have to get creative with this because perhaps, you know, you live in an area where things aren't as open or perhaps things are really open, but as a parent, you're not comfortable with them participating in a lot of things. So you may have to get a little creative, but finding things that they have control over and that you're okay giving them that control and then allowing them to make their own choices in those things, allowing them to decide what they wanna sign up for, what they don't, allowing them to, um, focus on, you know, perhaps something in the future that they're going to attend or they're going to participate in. But any little area that you can relinquish, relinquish some control to them is going to be extremely helpful for that part. Does it help if we even do that in little things at home? I mean, simple things like I don't know, maybe letting them pick what we're going to have for dinner or choose what the family is going to do for entertainment. Yeah, that can be as great, especially for younger kids, because they'll feel a lot more empowered with that for teens, depending on the relationship within the family. You know, some teens may um, kind of roll their eyes and not want to participate, but if you can get them to play a part in planning out, maybe even like the family menu, you know, I have some families where they will do during the pandemic, they started doing family meetings and they don't spend a lot of time on it, but maybe, you know, every Sunday night, they have the whole family sit down for 10, 15 minutes and they all get a say in what they're going to have for dinner. Um, they get a say in what the schedule is going to look like that week. You know, they get a say in, um, like weekend activities or whatever. And they're kind of checking in with each other too during that time. But it's a chance for parents to give some of that control over to the kids and let the kids have a say in how things are going to be structured, how things are going to go that week. So any yeah, small area that you can do at home, if it's like food, um, with dinner, even getting like teens to actually make the dinner would be really helpful for them. But then other things too, if it's um, thinking of things outside of the home. So I like this idea with the family meeting in that I see it helping parents too, because you said it's hard for our kids to see us be stressed. And yet it's absolutely normal for us to even still be stressed or we'll get into it, but maybe even experiencing more stress now for some parents than what you did before. But having that meeting means that we are thinking about what are we going to eat this week? So there isn't this five o'clock panic of, oh my gosh, you know, we have nothing in the house and then nobody's planned anything. And then everybody gets grumpy and crappy. So thinking about what we're going to eat, thinking about the chores that are going to be done, thinking about how we're going to spend time together or not. Right. So if our kids are telling us I need some time to myself, we need to respect that too. Don't we? Right. And if, and if that's the situation, especially with teens, because it's very normal for them to, this is a stage in life where they want more independence. They want more time alone. That's completely normal. But then I know a lot of parents are concerned that there's too much time alone right now because they're, they might be doing remote learning and they're not doing their regular activities. So then in that case, during the family meeting, the parents might even plan out like, okay, let's also consider like how much time is everybody going to be alone? and let's find where we can have family time in here. Let's, and then as a family, you kind of figure out what night works best. So everyone kind of has a say in it, and it's not something that someone feels like is being forced upon them. 
And then, like you said, it does help up, help out the parents incredibly, because if you can get some participation in creating the, the family menu, the meal plan, some participation with chores, that's going to help the parents. So not everything is falling on them. And then you, you know, you're getting some, um, like some really good mental health protective factors in there, because what we know, what research shows us is that when we contribute, when we have a purpose, that's really good for our mental health. And so when you're giving family members a purpose, such as taking out the garbage each week, or your purpose is to make sure that the dog is fed every day, that's actually really good for mental health. And then it's easing the burden of the parents too, because it's taking something off their plate. I love that. And you also reminded me of something else. So when I coach women who are moms, we often run into this issue around family vacations. It's so much work. It takes so much time to plan. Oftentimes you have teenagers who don't want to go or are complaining and all of that. And one of the things I coach them to do is way up front, start talking to the whole family about the vacation and to a degree, planning it together and handing over pieces to your teens or 20 somethings that are reasonable for them to just take and do like, you know, hand, I have a daughter who is amazing at finding great flights. So if you're going to be flying and I know many people won't be yet, but maybe it's flying, maybe it's driving, maybe it's finding the Airbnb. It seems like that might also um, contribute to this sense of sense of purpose and also sense of control that they have some control over this family vacation. Yeah, 100%. And I love that idea of having them participate in planning the vacation, because then you get some buy-in, they're invested. You know, if your teen, if, if each child gets to maybe choose one activity, one family activity that you're going to do on vacation, let's say that's within the budget, maybe you guys have three activities that you're going to pay for. And so maybe the parents choose one and then the, the two kids each get to choose one. There's now some buy-in to actually do that activity when you're on vacation, as opposed to parents feeling like they're, they're dragging their kid along with them. Or I love the idea of, you know, having them help with flights or finding the Airbnb or planning, you know, maybe some pit stops along the road trip because they are now investing in the trip and they are much more likely to get some enjoyment out of it. And they're not going to feel like, okay, this is something I'm being told to do. And, and now it, it sucks and I hate it. Right. And that's the same thing, even if you're not going someplace, if you're doing a staycation or you just want to try and do some things near home, you can let them find an activity to do near home or depending on your kid and what motivates them, maybe even give them the family budget and go here. We have this for a day trip or for a camping weekend or whatever. But I, I like this I'm getting kind of energized around this idea of just a way to give them control. And I don't know if you've had other thoughts around other places that we could give our kids control. Um, but one other thing that I think we need to touch on, cause you talked to me about before we got on air is so speaking of family vacations, right? We're opening up, the world is opening up a little and my heart goes out to countries that are actually closing down more. I know at the time we're recording this in the U S Vax, vaccinations are going well. And so the world is opening up a little. However, 
one of the things that you talked to me about was the social anxiety that's coming. And so as we're planning this family vacation, we, you know, I might be excited about getting out of town and doing something. And yet I might have a child or a partner or a spouse who is afraid to do that. What's going on with that? Yeah, you know, it's really important to kind of take the the family temperature on activities and, and the world reopening and seeing where people's comfort level is. And once you kind of have the, the temperature of the family on that topic, you may have to find some, some compromising or there may have to be some negotiation because we it's a tough thing because when it comes to anxiety, we can't overexpose ourselves. We can't, you know, if I'm, if I'm afraid of spiders, you wouldn't want to put a tarantula on my face to get me to be comfortable with spiders. That's actually going to make my fear. That's going to make my anxiety so much stronger. But if I, you know, first look at pictures of spiders, or maybe I watch some videos and then maybe I look at one through the glass, you know, now I'm, I'm getting more and more comfortable with each baby step until eventually I might be able to have a spider sitting on my hand and I, or I might see a spider in the room and I may not freak out by it. So I built up to it. I've managed my anxiety along the way. So now I'm in a much better spot to handle that fear. It's the same thing with this. If you have somebody in the family who is terrified of being in large crowds, if you force it and say, nope, you know what, you'll be fine. We are attending this event and, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people there without masks, but whatever, it's fine. I know we're safe. You have to trust me on this and you force it. You're actually going to make the anxiety even stronger in that individual. So it's important to consider where everybody's at and then kind of find a little bit of a balance on what's going to be comfortable for people. And then the people who are going to be a little more anxious, maybe coming up with a plan as to how to alleviate that anxiety along the way, how to maybe even some alternative activities that they could do while other family members do the things that maybe are a little bit more public and out in the open. But that you can't force it because it's just, it will end up more, um, you're doing more harm than good in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I've heard several people and some of them were making the comment in jest. Some were making the comment and you could see that kind of at the same time, we're having the realization that it might feel true for them, but they're making comments to the effect of, I don't know if I'll ever be able to leave the house again. Just that being home so much for so long has made it not that it's impossible to walk out the door, but that they are feeling so much anxiety about just going to a grocery store or, or I know uh, one woman who she didn't have a problem going to a grocery store because she's been doing that, but she couldn't go to the local farmer's market. So I'm just kind of wondering what we can do if we um, have someone in our family who's experiencing anxiety at such a high level, is it something where we just start being supportive and, and asking them to come out and do little things with us around the house or? Yeah, you, you want to think baby steps. So if you have somebody who is 
um, not wanting to participate at all in anything socially. Let's say it's your kid, it's your teen, and you know that their school is going to be completely reopened in the fall. And maybe they're, they're still doing remote learning now, but you know, like, okay, there's, you know, there's a time here where you're going to have to be back around other kids. You might want to start thinking of little ways to kind of reintroduce them to society or to reintroduce them to social situations. And so maybe at first it's having a friend over where they're both hanging out in the backyard. And again, it depends what the individual's anxiety is about. You know, are they anxious about germs or are they anxious more about the social um, interaction? So if it's, you know, about the, the germs and having them outside where maybe they're both wearing masks and then maybe later it would be, having some friends over outside where you're not wearing masks or something like that. But if it's about social interactions, then just slowly exposing them to social situations. So the friend first, maybe somebody that they're really close to, they, someone who really gets, um, maybe they start hanging out with them a little bit. And then maybe you have them go to a relative's house where it's relatives that they, they get along with pretty well. They're not super close with, but they get along with them well enough. And then you start to increase the amount of time in those social situations. And then you start to add more, or maybe they go with you to the grocery store. They go with you to run errands at Target. And so it's just thinking of these incremental baby steps and then building on those. You don't want to just get to a point where you stop, but you keep building and expanding and, and even talking to them along the way, like, how did that feel? You know, I noticed when we were in Target, you, I could see that you were sweating a little bit and your face was really red. It looked to me like maybe you were anxious and kind of checking in and asking them, how did that feel? And if it was anxiety, then, okay, what are some things that you could do next time so that it doesn't feel so scary? Maybe we need to come up with a mantra that you can repeat over and over in your head, you know, like I'm safe or um, like no one's staring at me. It's okay. Something that you can just repeat that's going to make you feel okay. Or maybe it's going to be um, having them go and pay for something um, with, to the cashier directly while you kind of hang back while they're practicing some social skills. And so they're getting more and more comfortable. And then again, checking in with them later about how did that go? How did that feel? And what would be something that would be slightly outside your comfort zone that we could try next time and just keep working on those things and building up? It, in some ways, it's almost just going back in time to when they were young and we were helping them learn social skills. So it sounds like one of the things we just need to do as a parent is realize that that might just be what they need. And also remember in this situation, it, as much as we want to help them get over this hump quickly, you've told us that pushing them doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Overexposing them makes it worse. And what they need is to feel in control. So us pushing uh, would actually make them feel more out of control. Right. It'll make them feel more out of control. And then it's just going to intensify the anxiety. It's just going to make it stronger. So um, baby steps, you know, we know that baby steps are the most helpful thing for managing anxiety, just a slow exposure 
it's like thinking of, you know, whatever your comfort zone is, thinking of it as a bubble that we're constantly trying to stretch and make a little bit bigger. And that's what we're doing with these social interactions, exposures. We're just stretching that bubble. And so it's just getting a little bigger each time. We don't want to stretch it and make it huge. We don't want to pop it, but we want to just kind of be stretching it. And then also reminding them that there are things they can do when they feel anxious. So they are going to feel uncomfortable. That's This isn't about feeling comfortable in all of these situations. This is about recognizing that there's going to be a little amount of discomfort. That's what happens when we stretch our, our bubbles. There's some discomfort, but we have to learn that we can manage that discomfort. And so reminding them like, okay, what are the things that help you manage your discomfort when you are feeling anxious? You know, what is going to help you feel a little less anxious in that situation so they learn that they can tolerate the discomfort, they can tolerate the anxiety. And another thing that's really helpful that I forgot to mention is encouraging them to do mental rehearsal. So if they are going to be, um, perhaps they're going to be attending a party for the first time in, you know, a year and a half. And they're going to, you know, some friends having like a graduation outdoor party, and there's going to be a bunch of kids there from school, and they're really anxious about it. Encourage them to like practice it in their head. So they can imagine what they're going to wear to the party, they're going to imagine themselves walking into the backyard, they'll imagine themselves talking to people and feeling confident Maybe they, you know, they get some food and, you know, they go and they talk to the host and they say congratulations and they can imagine themselves leaving the party. But that mental rehearsal is a really great way to get us to practice social interactions and to um, do it while we're feeling, you know, confident and safe at home. And it's uh, that rehearsal can help us a lot in decreasing social anxiety. And I love this conversation, Mighty Parenting. We're always talking about how to have conversation with our kids and this idea of reminding them that this isn't about only doing things that you are 100% comfortable with, but learning to manage the discomfort. And over time, what's a little bit uncomfortable becomes comfortable, right? The thought that occurred to me, though, is we're, we're talking a lot about the teen who's feeling anxious and I'm just wondering if we have a role reversal where the parent is the one who is anxious and doesn't want the family going out, going on vacation, and the teen does, that's going to create some real friction. Mm -hmm. And I can see that setting us up for some relationship issues. Do you have some advice for us on working through that role reversal? Yeah, you know, for if it's a parent who's really anxious about reentry, um, allowing kids to reenter society and um, allowing them to start to participate again, I highly recommend, you know, that the parent, first of all, look at the, the, C, the current CDC guidelines and see like, okay, what is being recommended right now by the CDC? And if that means like printing that out and hanging it on the refrigerator, that can be really helpful. So they can remind themselves like, okay, this is, this is science-backed information. This is what we know 
to be safe right now. You know, we know what our high risk activities are. We know what's considered moderate. We know what's low risk. I mean, I've had some parents where they have a list of the, the risk activities from low, medium to high. And they would practice first going through all the low risk activities until they felt really comfortable. And then maybe doing a couple of the medium risk activities just to um, get some exposure and to be able to uh, modulate their anxiety a little bit. So you could do something like that. You can look at the CDC guidelines for your area and see what's recommended. And then if you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm being unreasonable, I'm wanting, you know, to keep my family in this protective bubble, and I'm not wanting to go outside of it, but I look at the CDC recommendations, and maybe I'm being a little extreme. You know, I, I'm still cleaning my groceries, or I'm still, you know, not allowing my kids to have any social interaction at all, even though we're vaccinated, and, you know, we're, we're staying safe in all these other ways, like, okay, I might be a little bit on the extreme end. So I'm going to have to learn how to manage my own anxiety so that they can still get the social interactions that they need. And so as a parent, that might mean you having to work on your own anxiety and kind of go through your own exposures of going out into the world in these low risk activities until you start to feel safe, until you start to manage your own anxiety, talking to friends, talking to family members that can be supportive and helpful, maybe even getting help from a professional if needed. And so that you start to feel more comfortable and safe and that you can do the things that you're maybe the rest of your family is desiring. And this also brings up the idea that we can talk to our friend circle, our family circle, other people who can, who we trust, who can help us determine if maybe we are reacting through our anxiety rather than through facts. And that also brings up the, the conversation of, we all need to be a little patient, even more patient, Melanie, we were talking beforehand, and I don't think we have time to get into this piece because I saw one more thing I definitely need to ask you about. And that was during the pandemic, we had mask versus not mask. And, and there was a little bit of friction there. And I'm seeing that as the world opens up, we're having more friction in that area and more areas within which to have friction, like to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. And what can you do if you vaccinate? So it's a time just to remind, I just want to remind all of us, take a deep breath and have grace and know that everybody is trying to make the best decision they can for themselves and their family. But if you as a parent are in this place where you're not sure what you're doing, find some people who've been kind of in the same mindset as you through the pandemic and, and have a conversation with them and, and maybe get a double check. But the other thing, Melanie, I really want to ask you about um, is as we're getting ready, to go back to school in the fall. Hopefully we will be in a situation, well, hopefully I would love it globally. I, you know, it's looking in the United States like we may be in a situation where schools will be open, campuses will be open. Now, this summer, are there things that we could or should be doing to prep our kids or ourselves for that or things that we maybe need to remember when the year starts? 
Yeah. This summer will be a great opportunity for people to start exposing themselves to these social interactions, social situations. So starting to, um, you know, be hang out with friends. And again, looking at whatever the current CDC guidelines are for this, because, you know, obviously we know sometimes those shift and change, but if it's saying, if the guidelines are saying that things are, you know, it's safe for, for kids to be hanging out or it's safe for, you know, to, vaccinated families to be around each other or whatever that might be following those and starting to increase those types of safe interactions. So spending time with friends, getting them back into clubs or sports or um, any type of so camp like social activities this summer will be really, really important for getting them back into school in the fall. Even if your kid doesn't normally do summer camp, like a, a day program or something, something like that. I highly encourage parents, if they feel safe doing that, to do that this summer because they need exposure to structure. They need exposure to lots of noises and distractions and the social interactions. And then for like the older kids who may, maybe they don't have, you know, camp programs, getting them involved in some sort of activity over the summer, some sort of sport, even if it's not a sport of interest, but again, it's just getting them comfortable with social interactions and noises and distractions, and then encouraging them to practice that mental rehearsal piece that I mentioned earlier, imagining yourself attending school, imagining yourself, you know, walking into the dorm, how that's going to feel, you know, how will you keep yourself calm so that you don't feel anxious when you're back at school, because that mental rehearsal can be such a valuable piece. So encouraging them talking about it a lot, talking about the return to school, talking about college in the fall. And, you know, what do you think your dorm room will look like? Or how should we decorate it? You know, what do you think your school year will look like? And how do you think it's going to be in the hallway with all those kids? So that you're constantly like talking about it, bringing up different scenarios and talking through it so that they're learning how to manage their anxiety right there in the moment during that conversation. But then also they're recognizing that there's things they can do to help themselves feel better. Put it on them. Like, what do you think you would do if you were in the hall and it was really crowded and noisy and you felt yourself being over feeling overwhelmed? How do you think you'll handle handle that so that they learn that they have the tools to manage those tough situations. And we're talking about this as, as if, you know, things are going to keep opening up, things could shift, things could open up faster, slower. So this advice can just be sliding up and down your calendar. It can move closer or further away um, as far as what you do. And I want to encourage families to, to remember there is COVID. Every family has a different situation. They have different extenuating circumstances. So we all need to make our own choices. And also remember that our mental health is being impacted in addition to our physical health. So take the time to take care of yourself, to encourage your family and your kids to take care of themselves um, from a mental and emotional wellness standpoint. And if you're not doing that by getting out socially in the broader sense, in, 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 in um, if you're not doing that by getting out socially frequently in, in schools and activities and cultures, look for 
pockets that you think are comfortable. Melanie, you mentioned getting together with family or letting them have, you know, a, a close friend or two or, two or, or another, you know, friend family that you get together with, but just to start to create some of those pockets of, of interaction and then using exercises and things, which we'll put some resource links in the show notes for people to use different um, mon- like Melanie, you mentioned mantras, breathing exercises. What are some other common suggestions, you know, some other common practices that you would suggest people use? Um, yoga, like going on YouTube and just Google looking for yoga videos for relaxation, not necessarily yoga for strength and um, flexibility, but ones that focus on relaxation because they, they do a really good job of teaching breathing exercises, how to kind of self-regulate journaling is extremely helpful. Um, the only caveat to journaling is I just recommend that when people journal, they, um, don't worry about punctuation. They don't worry about grammar. They don't go back and reread anything they wrote. And then they just end any journal entry with three things that they're grateful for. And just to be really specific about what those three things are. So it can't be like, Oh, I'm grateful. I'm alive. It would need to be something like, you know, I'm grateful that today my you know, my body was strong enough that I was able to take my dogs on a hike. So something really specific, but ending each journal entry with something like that. And then even practicing gratitude, how you do at the end of the journal, practicing gratitude on a daily basis is really, really good for our mental health. So finding a way throughout the day to find things either that you're grateful for, or that you're like in awe of, you know, if you see a beautiful sunset, allow yourself to feel the awe of the sunset or allow yourself to really be grateful for how beautiful it is, because we know that that is um, a mental health protective factor. Mm, Yeah, I love that. And anyone who might be interested, I lead yoga nidra, uh, yoga nidra guided meditations where all you do is lay there and listen. So if you're interested in that, you can just reach out to me through the show connect at mighty parenting and i'll get you information on that as well melanie there's so much here there's so much going on and i know that you have been completely slammed in your practice you're doing so much to help and i really appreciate that you took this hour to help us understand more about reentry and that social anxiety is there and it's a real thing and that in the midst of there's excitement and we can have gratitude for the excitement and the areas that are opening up and there's still anxiety and there's still sadness and then we can have both those things at the same time. So thank you for helping us see how we can walk that. You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all you're doing, because I know this podcast is a huge, huge help, especially right now. Well, thank you. And mighty parents, thank you for being here. I know it's been a really long year and a half and it may still may still be a long road to hoe for who knows what the foreseeable future is going to be. And I also know that you're here, you're listening, you're doing things. We can enjoy our lives right now. We can have a good life now. We can have a good life in the future, whatever that's going to look like. So keep doing it. Keep showing up. Keep taking care of you, taking care of your kids. Because if you're here, you're listening. You are a mighty parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.